Hello and welcome to the Wolves Report. I'm Ryan Lester and thank you for joining us for episode 80, where tonight we will analyse the players and the match where Wolves lost 3-2 at Fulham. Talk about VAR part 4,235 this season. Take your questions, look ahead to Arsenal and talk about Wolves' new book, Revolution of Wolves by Johnny Phillips and Paul Berry. Tonight we have a very special guest indeed. Delighted to be joined by Sky Sports and new author, Johnny Phillips. Johnny, thank you for joining us. Flank, flank, flanking Johnny on either wing tonight, we have our club captain, Mark Nock, and our director of football, Chris Tyler. Frustrating night last night, so let's get straight into it. Johnny, you were there to witness Fulham 3, Wolves 2. Yeah, it was, uh, it was frustrating, ultimately. Um, and perhaps, I, I mean, there's still a bit of... Um, there's still a bit of fun to be had from an away day, and I don't get to do too many in the in the Wolves end with Wolves fans these days uh, due to my work. So it was nice. It's always great to go um, to watch Wolves away from home. So I enjoyed it from that uh, angle, and the, the turnout was amazing. You know, the away end was packed, lots of noise, and there was a lot to sort of like in some areas. I thought the the goal from Mateus Cunha, the build up to it, uh, was fantastic. It was just a really, really well crafted goal. Um, but obviously, and I thought there were times, particularly in that first half, when Wolves were clearly in control of a lot of the game and, and had good possession. But then there were there were moments when they let it slip away, um, and there were moments when it was taken away from them by, by matters out of their own hands. And whereas perhaps a two-two draw would have been fair enough on the night, I think you know the, there's a sense of injustice about a three-two defeat, and it, it was ultimately, you know, really disappointing in that sense. Nucky, starting off the game, it was a bit of a slow start. Fulham flew out the traps and it looks quite easy at the start. We talked about it on the group chat as well. And it was an easy goal for Alex Awobi. So a frustrating start, but all should probably be doing that better from there. Yeah, I mean, the, the Awobi goal was no surprise. Is it? it turns into Maradona every time he plays us for some reason. Um, I, I was I was a bit disappointed, to be honest. I, I, I didn't really see that performance coming. I thought we'd... Uh, I, I fancy us to go there and win, to be honest. I thought just thought we were... We were slow starting. Um, we just didn't seem to get to grips with the game. I, I think against Spurs, we were... You know, there was a little bit of... of venom and a little bit of bite about them. I, mean, I didn't really see that. I thought we struggled a little bit in midfield. Um... It just didn't seem to work, and I don't. I don't think that's a reflection on Gary O'Neill because the team he picked was a team that I think all of us would have would have probably gone for. It was the right decision to bring Bueno in, but we just didn't seem to have that that edge about us. We looked a little bit leggy. Um, we were we were second best. We were second to the to the loose balls in midfield. I just didn't think we 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 got to grips with the game, and we conceded a goal that was very similar to the Brennan Johnson goal in the last game, and we nearly conceded an identical goal just before that with Jimenez. We tried a back flick, so there was just. It just didn't, for one reason or another, it just didn't seem to work for us. But I know we'll come on to the VAR elements later on. But we scored a very good goal from Cunha. So that's a more, a more difficult header than I think people are giving him credit for. Um, and we did create a couple of opportunities. Wang hit the crossbar. But I, I just don't think we gave the account of ourselves that I expected us to give. I think there was more in the tank. And for one reason or another, we just, we just didn't deliver it on the night. Before... The uh, Awobi goal, Tyler, um, something that really frustrated me that hasn't really been mentioned much. And I know you've got to earn the right to play, but Fulham dropped in a couple of early reducers. Um, and in my opinion, they were both booking worthy tackles. They were late and nasty. Maybe you could let one go, but two went. And then 
not long after that, Gomez was booked. That's got to be a bit frustrating that you try and put a bit of fight back and then they've kicked you up in the air. They've won the right to play. They've scored, but you play the same tactics and you get punished straight away. Yeah, I tweeted at the time, um, just saying you don't want to keep talking about referees, but I don't know where they keep getting them from. And those two challenges from Fulham are just stonewall yellow cards yeah. all day for as long as you've ever played football. And then Gomez and Lamina both get booked for staying on their feet and just slightly mistiming a tackle. And you brought me on to referees already. We're only four minutes. That's what we're here for. I didn't think you would, but it wasn't just the VAR incidents. Again, it's just a for me a referee that looks totally out of his depth, no control of the game, letting tackles fly in. Um, and I, I don't know what to say anymore, Ron. I don't know what you want me to say because we were bare challenges go unpunished, and then the first foul we commit basically is a yellow card. And it was a nothing tackle, final third of the pitch. He's just got to him slightly late, hasn't dived in, isn't reckless. I, I don't know anymore, is the answer. I don't know what you want to say, which isn't very good for a podcast, is it? But <laughs> I'm, I'm running out of reasons to, you know, defend them because you can't defend that. You know, anyone, you don't even have to know football to know that. The one on Samedo, I mean, how is it not a yellow card? I mean, I don't get it. And I'm not saying it always changes the game, but, you know, if someone picks a book in the first five minutes, they've got to play the game a little bit differently, haven't mm. they? And well, if you get away with the first one, you can go again with the second one, and that's what they did. And, and that's why they lose control, because the players then think they can start yeah. flying in and making tackles and uh, without punishment. So I think it all, it's all linked, isn't it? And I think that opening goal from Iwobi was as a result of Fulham being able to kick Wolves up in the air and it shook Wolves a bit because they were a bit shaky and Fulham came again two or three times it was easy and they took the lead but um, moving on to a more positive bit of the game Johnny um, it was a very beautifully crafted goal uh, Bellegarde such a talent for me um, the way he glides and cuts in and out and it's a great finish from Cunha as well Yeah a really good finish and what was what I particularly liked about it from um, from watching it in the ground in the away end was that you got a real perspective of the width that was used to get that goal. I mean, the actual the turnover of possession was bueno of all people. It, you know, it wasn't particularly impressive on the night, but he actually won the ball back right, right on the right-hand side and the ball was moved all the way across to the left. Um, and you could sort of see that everyone shifting and then Doc brought it back inside. And Doc almost gave it away with that pass across field. It was a risky pass, but it, space was opened up and made for Bellegarde uh, and, and Semedo on that side, on the, on the right. Uh, and it's something, you know, we know Gary O'Neill works on that, on those moments where he can just get the overload at the right time. And, you know, you know these things don't happen by chance. And um, and, and, and Bellegarde obviously was was great in the final moments of it, to put it on Cunha's head, and, and, and a nice tidy finish as well. But it was a lovely goal, and I think it looked impressive from behind the goal, just by the way the ball was switched on, on, on more than one occasion, it went from right to left and then back to the right. And it looked like a really, really controlled, well-worked goal. I, I loved it. And that perhaps clouded a bit of my a, a sort of view of the sort of things that Wolves didn't do so well, because, I, you know, I did think they did that very well. It's a really interesting thing what you say about Doherty then. I don't think it was his his best game. Um, he worries me in terms of his mobility. He's clearly got a knack for being in the right place going forward. But quite often in games, it's that risky pass that's, that's a couple of inches here or there. And that pass was under hit made Fulham commit and it was Wolves that got away from it. Yeah, that's that was the key. I mean, it, you know, if it had gone wrong in any sense, there were big problems going to come from that. But once once he'd sort of teased 
the, the Fulham player into going for it, then then Wolves had the space to, to do that to do their work and they exploited it fully. But yeah, Doc, you know, I, I've been. It, it's nice to see Doc back because he sort of he, he's a sort of um, he's one from the from the great days of Nuno. So you sort of you got a real fondness for him. But you know, he's obviously not operating anywhere near that level at the moment. But I thought I thought he was solid enough when he came on. Bearing in mind he was on the left, um, I thought he was okay. Just while we're on on that, Johnny, I'll bring you two guys in as well with this as well. I did think that was a strange substitution because if you've got Hugo Bueno, who's naturally a left winger or left back, he seemed like the natural fit for me. Now, I thought Doherty was just all right. And I think we really lacked down that when it was Doherty and Toti lacking up. I think we struggled on that side of the pitch. But Noki, a, a strange substitution for me. I mean, that's not a criticism of Doc. It's more of a, I don't often question Gary because he's been brilliant recently, but I found that a really strange change. Yeah, I mean, Bueno's coming back from an injury, isn't he? So how fit is he? Is he fit enough just to try and integrate him back into the squad and just get him a little bit of an opportunity to be with the team again? I don't know. But Doc's been playing. He's been playing for his country as well. So I'm assuming he just thought the right move was to put the player in who's a little bit sharper and a little bit more match fit. But on with you, I think, you know, Aitner is our best option down that side. If he's not fit, then... For me, it's always going to be um, Hugo Bueno because I think he gives you something similar to to Aitnuri. So it, it was a strange one. It, it didn't really work, but you know, as the, as the guys have already said, it was Doherty's initial pass which opened things up for the goal. So he's kind of indicated that. And I don't think that Doherty did much wrong. I don't think he offered us a great deal going forward, but I thought he was relatively solid in this position. And you know, it is what it is. It's a squad game. You're going to have to utilize your whole squad throughout the season. We've got a lot of games coming up, so I guess. Let's not risk Bueno if we don't need to. Yeah, it's strange that he didn't come on at all. I do find that really strange. Um, Tyler, and as if by chance now, we're going to move on to the next goal. I'm going to talk about <laughs> Fulham's uh, penalty. Now, I, mean, I want to bring everybody into this one. I, I'm absolutely staggered. The replays that I managed to get a clip off last night and post. I, I don't know what to say, Tyler. And you don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Could be a short podcast. This I, I, on, that, on that clip, he's clearly, clearly got the ball first. So is it a case of did he, did he not get that replay during the game time? Because surely if he sees that, because I don't understand how. I know he's talking about clear and obvious, and we've talked about this a thousand times, but if you get the ball first and he gets the slightest bit of player afterwards, even if that, and he goes down, surely if he goes to the screen... There's a possibility you might book you might book the attacker and he reverses it. Yeah, you've answered it, but for me it's just a monumental error. And I think this is the worst one for me out of all the ones we've had, because apparently, if you believe what Gary says, and you'd like to believe that, he said to him after the game that that's a mistake on our part and I should have been sent to the monitor. So that for me is the worst. But I, like we've talked about, I can live with a referee getting a decision wrong real time. I can cope with that. I've got no problem. What I can't live with is the fact that he's got a mate who can just literally say to him, just go and have a look. Just have a double check. And if he still gives it, like I've talked about in this podcast before, he's back in his own decision and he gives it. But why would he have looked at that one? Why was he not looked at that one but looked at the second one? That's what no I just sense. can't I get don't. my head around. That's the bit I'm really struggling with. Um, and you're right, Ryan. Clear as day. Never a penalty. Clearly wins the ball first. If he hasn't had access to that replay, then 
obviously that's a bit suspicious itself, isn't it? And again, a lot of things, what, sorry, a lot of people always talk about is the, the replay itself. It's slowed down to granular detail and football isn't played in slow motion. It's played at a real fast pace. And for me, wins the ball, never a penalty. The, the lad from Fulham knew that himself on the interview after the game. He's, he's, he's laughing, laughing yeah. He knows, they know they've got away with one. So it's the worst one for me of them all so far. And, and that's saying something, isn't it? It is. It's, it's an absolute, absolute sickener. And in um, in fairness to the referee, in real time, I thought it was a penalty. I think if you see that that fast, you're thinking, we're in trouble here, that's a penalty. So I can understand that. But you can forgive giving decisions in real time. But it's this clear and obvious business then. Well, well, it's not. But he clearly gets the ball. So it's really frustrating. And then on the 59th minute, Willian puts us um, puts us 2-1 down, um, panging his penalty away. Um, Noki, 75th minute, I think there's a, there's a long ball over the top. There's a bit of work from Sasa Kalajic. Huang bursts into the box, um, beats his man, wins the penalty. Yeah, I mean, even when we do get the decision, we don't get the decision because that should have been a second yellow for me. I think he should have gone for that because he's, he's gone, he's through. Um, he's going to get an opportunity to shoot. For me, that, that that's a booking. Um, he doesn't give it and it comes back to haunt us. But yeah, I mean, no, good run by Huang. I think we, we've mentioned him before. He's in a position now where he's not just... If he wasn't scoring goals before, he wasn't really contributing. Now he's he's affecting the play. He's linking up well. He's, he's offering us those legs from dropping deep and, and bursting through into the attacking areas. And I think he's, he's contributing well in the game. Wasn't his best game for us, but he's got himself a goal. Um, and it, yeah, lovely run, clear penalty. But again, it should be a, it should be a second yellow for me. I'm sure there'll be people who disagree with that. And that is one of those that is probably going to be a 50-50 split as to whether people think it is or it, or it isn't. But for me, anywhere else on the pitch, if you burst past the, the yeah. player and you're, you're running through towards goal and you've got yourself an advantage that the player's going to get booked for that so I don't understand why it's not purely because it's inside the penalty area especially when there's there's no attempt for the ball Johnny what, what surprised me about that goal is maybe not the quite the directness but how vulnerable Fulham were with pace at the centre-backs you play the space into Huang who's clearly got pace and strength he burst past Tim Bream who was really struggling to deal with him it's really frustrating that Wolves didn't do that more we knew from the start of the game that there was an opportunity there. And I don't think Wolves made the most of Cunha. I don't think they made the most of Belagard. And when did Belagard, Belagard got in a position? He set up a goal. When Juan got in a position, won a penalty, converted it. Wolves have missed an opportunity there. Yeah, I think they, they have. Um, I did the game earlier in the season when Brentford beat them 3-0 at their place. And they are weak uh, when you go at them. You, you know, they've not been a particularly good defence this season. Uh, you know, they've had a, they've had a lot of issues. Um, and I thought Wolves, with the attack they've got, I know there's no Neto, but with the with Cunha and Wang being in really decent form of late, I, I thought we'd probably caused them. We should have caused them a few more problems than we did. And 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 after when Wolves scored that first goal, I sort of thought, well, this could this this could be um, promising. This could set us up for something. And it, it never just never quite worked. Did I thought Wang was probably the best of the bunch yesterday? Uh, I thought he worked well. Uh, hard enough, but there were no, no one really sees the game. I thought when the game was there to be won in that second half for both sides, really, there was a lack of quality on the pitch, um, and, it, and it sort of petered out and, and obviously became um, dominated by the, the officialdom. Noki, moving on to the 89th minute, um, 
an incident that's, I mean, I've talked about it again on social media today. It's, I wouldn't say it's a divide. I'd say it's probably 90% red. Uh, the rest think it's it's probably not. But I know I know Max Kilman's standing over him. There's a foul. He wins the free kick. Max is over him. He's come up. And for me, he's pushed his, his face, his head into, into Max's face. And I don't see how that's not a red card. Now, I don't know if that was confirmed afterwards, whether they'd said that was probably by the letter of law, it should have been a red card. But I don't see, if you're putting your head into a player, I don't see how that's not a red card. It's not like two players sometimes when they push foreheads and get a booking. It wasn't one of those circumstances. I think Max has paid the price for being too honest and honest. You know, I think he's he's been a little bit naive. Um, he should have hit the deck. I know that it's not what you want to see in football, but if VAR does his job properly, he wouldn't need to hit the deck. They'd find that decision anyway because clearly it's a headbutt. But the reality is you you've got to play the game a little bit now if you want to get those decisions. And we had a similar one earlier on with Wang. I think it was against Bournemouth. Um, similar kind of contact. Wang goes down, forces the referee's decision. It ends up with a red card. Max should have done the same for me. I think he, the opportunity's there. The guy's put his head into him. It's clearly a headbutt. If he goes down, I think it has to be a red card. So you don't want to have to do those, those kind of antics, but I guarantee you if it's the other way around, then they absolutely hit the deck and, you could see with the two penalties that they've, you know, they've been given. Um, both of those, they've thrown themselves to the floor because they know that that gives you the best possible opportunity for a for a positive outcome. And we're a little bit too nice. We've said it before, um, and unfortunately, we paid the price for that. Tolo, is it a red card for you? All day and twice on a Sunday, mate. Yeah, I think the um, terminology used apparently was a soft headbutt. You, you make you make it room. <laughs> You make your own conclusions, but you, the rules of the game state that you can't do that. And I think, again, I watched an interview with O'Neill today and he said that they were told that both the Tim Ream one and the headbutt in the laws of the game are sending off offences. So, again, Johnny, sure. you can add really is to that. Johnny, I'm sure you know your answer, but if you're commentating on that game, you're looking at that, are you expecting a red card to come out? Oh yeah, it's a red card. He's, you know, he put his head in, in Kilman's face. Yeah, it's 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 just a red card. Um, and yeah, maybe Kilman's honesty didn't help uh, his cause. But even so, I think at that level and with VAR in operation, it should it should be spotted. Well, we've I've been talking about this a lot on Twitter, and it's been it's been lots of debate and lot people passionate about it. And it is a physical sport, but you shouldn't have to roll around on the floor. To get a decision and i understand that if you give players an opportunity with a push or a kick they're going to manipulate a situation in order to win a penalty because of you put your hands out put your foot out i get that but as you said johnny if the var is there you shouldn't have to be rolling around doing backflips and screaming I, I i don't know again how it's it's not been given as a red um would it have made a difference well wolves would have had eight or nine minutes with a man up with remaining time left to go and chase and win the game. And, and they might have lost it still, but I'd quite fancy our chances to, be, to have not lost that game then. Um, Let's not forget that that takes Fulham potentially down to nine men if they do the job properly. Because they came out and said that both of them should have been red cards. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're in injury time and you're up against nine men. And in theory, you throw the kitchen sinks, all they're going to do is, is defend the penalty area. So, I'd like to have probably gone out then. Yeah, and I get what you're saying. You don't want players to have to roll around, but... VAR doesn't work. It's not working. It's clearly not working. So you can't rely on a broken system run by people who 
don't understand the game and, and don't understand the parameters of what they're supposed to be doing, you can't rely on that system to get it right. So for me, you should have hit the deck. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't want to see it in the game, but whether it's right or wrong, that's what you should have done. I'm sorry, but just to add, right, I think, I don't know how this has happened, but again, a lot of, spent a lot of time on Twitter today. I haven't done much work today, sorry. It's almost, in, it's almost in, I don't know how we've got to this, but it's encouraging players to go yeah. down. Yeah, if they're not going to get a decision. How can a video refereeing system encourage players to go down easier? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But players now are at the point where they know, well, decisions aren't really being reversed, so I'll take my chances. And someone posted a great thing at the start of the season. They came out and said, there won't be soft penalties this season. We're going to be clamped down on it. And obviously, we've seen the opposite. But we've seen more soft penalties than ever, not just in Wolves games, in, in games across the league. So they're just in such a muddle with it, aren't they, that you know, they can't see you know, the lights of the trees. It's just got too murky now. You said it yourself, though, it's granular detail. So when the referee goes over to the VAR screen, it's always a freeze frame of the contact that they think they've seen. Yeah. And the replays are always slow motion. So if you're a player now, if all you've got to do is make sure there's some form of contact, whether you initiate it or not, you're yeah. going to get the decision. And if and with Kilman, that have slowed that right down to show the headbutt. If he'd have hit the deck, there's not a chance, you know, they wouldn't have been able to. I don't even think it'd have gone to VAR. I think, I think the ref, the linesman was there. I, th I think if he if he drops, he's going straight. He's going straight off. Yeah. And as you guys say, I don't want players rolling around on the floor. But as Tyler said, if you aren't getting the correct decisions, it's encouraging people to be more theatrical to get what they want. And he didn't get the correct decision. And maybe he's, he's honestly cost Wolves in the end. But that's not a fault of Max Kilman. Max Kilman stood up to it, no. and good for good for Max Kilman. But. The person that's been that down there is Max Kilman. So um, then moving on to our final bit, Williams penalty in the 94th minute, Johnny. Um, I can see why that's been given. Again, I felt like they've gone looking for it, though. I felt they spent a lot of time looking for it. But equally in games, you've seen plenty of those not given. However, there is contact and it has gone down. So of all the decisions, you can see why that one has been given. Yeah, you can. You knew... I mean, I watched it in real time. I thought, well, that's a penalty. It was at the other end yeah. of the pitch, but I just thought, oh, that's a penalty. And then play goes on and you think you get a bit hopeful. But then the minute um, the play was stopped and you knew they were looking at it, you thought, well, it's only going to go one way here. And it's obviously then got sent over to the monitor. So it was frustrating. I think in in, in the pre-VAR world, then he'd have made, he'd have given... Uh, He'd have given her a, what, what? What did he do? How did he? He would have given two on the pitch, wouldn't he? He'd have given the first one in real time. People would have said, "Oh, he got the ball. That wasn't the best decision." But you can see how he's given it. Then he would have given Wang's one, and he wouldn't have given that one. Um, and I don't think anyone would have complained at the actual decisions just made by the referee on the pitch. But the fact that we've got this forensic analysis now, and it it, it didn't make anything any better. Um, and it just made it incredibly frustrating for everyone in the stadium. Um, just uh, it just just left a sour taste, I think. You, you know, it, it probably was a penalty, but it wasn't one of those where if it doesn't get given, it's a howler. Um, mm. But it's, it's just it's just too much. It's too much analysis during a match. Um, it's, it's lost. Football's lost its freedom and its flow, hasn't it? And it's stiff. And we've mentioned this before that. You're celebrating a goal, but you're not fully celebrating. You want to go wild and enjoy that moment, and it's been taken away. Unless it's like a penalty or a direct free kick, then 
or someone's gone clean through and they've run from their own half. There's always that bit of nervousness. We've mentioned this for a while that that full euphoric moment isn't quite the same now because you you just don't know. Um, moving on to can I just ask on that, mate, before we before we carry on? Here we go. <laughs> no, what I'm going to say is that a clear and obvious error? Because they had to look at that right. a lot, right? So if that's a clear and obvious error, you don't need to send him to the screen. Because if you're sending him to the screen, what in essence you're saying is, I'm not sure if that if you've got that decision right. That isn't clear and obvious. Clear and obvious for me is to say, you've got that decision wrong, give a penalty. Because if they look at the first one and they can't overrule it, it's not a clear and obvious error. But the second one is a clear and obvious error, mm -hmm. even though they've had to look at it again in granular detail repeatedly. He's had to go over to the screen to look at it. So whether there's contact or not, I think there is contact, but I think it's initiated by the attacker. I think he throws himself into Gomez. But if he's had to look at it that many times, how yeah. can that be defined as a clear and obvious error? Because for I me, think, yeah, I think absolutely the, the, not. The process, the process is that the VAR room decide it is a clear and obvious error, but they need the referee on the pitch to reverse his decision. So that's why they take him to the, the monitor. So in their, the, opinion, in their opinion, it was a clear and obvious error. And they crazy. were giving the man on the pitch to the opportunity to reverse it. And he so didn't have the, to reverse it, but that would, that, that's how the process worked. So but as soon as he sends him over, you know what's coming. But if yeah. that's a clear and obvious error, but Onana completely wiping out Kalajic isn't deemed a clear and obvious error for the rest to go and have a look at. That, well, that's, that's where the issue the, is. If he's yeah, consistent, well, the, I'm comfortable. The process of the, 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 um, the system is that there's different referees refereeing to different uh, measures. And that's why one ref thinks one thing, one ref thinks another. And, and that's why VAR will always have that and why VAR is just another layer of officiating which makes it hard to get behind uh, really because there's the subjectivity on the pitch you can forgive say the incident was just given not given or given by the ref we all have a quick moan of it and that's the end of it but because yeah. it's being re-refed by VAR it's, it's it's an extra sort of um, that's why it's, that's why it's hard to swallow that, yeah. that's why it's so yeah. difficult to swallow like I said we've all been watching football a long time no issue with the referee making an error in real time. But we, well, I would say, the one thing I would say, having spoken with referees, is that um, they hate being given the, the job of VAR. They, they really hate that shift um, because it, it's, 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 not, it's not refereeing. Uh, you're being asked to do something a bit different and, and it's not what they've trained all their lives to do. Uh, so, you know, it, it is difficult. But, they, you know, that's not excusing bad decisions. One thing, just going back to you, Noki, and I know you're not going to be out there answer this, but I've got to ask it anyway. If they're deeming that as a clear and obvious error, how are they not deeming the first penalty for Fulham a clear and obvious error when he's clearly got the ball? And and that's that's my point. And, and Johnny's right, it's absolutely subjective, but we've gone through four decisions there. I think we can probably agree three of them are wrong. And I think the general consensus across football is that three of those decisions are wrong. The decision against Sheffield United was wrong. They've come out and admitted that. And it's, you know, there's been a, a the one on Onana that was deemed as wrong as well. So when does it stop becoming subjective errors? And when does it start becoming an officiating issue? Because the standard's not where we need it to be for this level of football, because these are, these are consistent, constant errors. And we're taking the brunt of it now. So we're probably feeling it more than most of the teams. Most of the teams, it, it tends to even out over the course of a season is, is what you, you sort of believe. But this seems to be us every single time. Now, I'm not saying there's, I'm not saying there's a corruption in the game because 
why would you have corruption against Wolves? There's no, you know, we're not a big fish in this division. We're just a, you know, we're a team who, who's predominantly trying to make sure we hit 40 points to stay in the league. But there's clearly an issue there with something that, that it seems to be hitting us more than it's hitting anyone else. And it's not 50 50 things that you're looking at and thinking, well, it could be, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's the Samado well. one is clearly the wrong decision. Someone has to step in and overrule that. And if you're not doing that, then you're making a decision not to do that for for some reason. That's that's where the frustration is. If it's consistent and it's across the board and this is happening all the time, then then fair enough. But it just feels to me that we seem to be taking the the dodgy end of the stick at the moment. You are listening and watching episode 80 of the Wolves Report with Sky Sports, Johnny Phillips, club captain Mark Knight, director of football, Chris Tyler, and myself, your host, Ryan Lester, discussing Fulham 3 Wolves to quickly go through the player analysis. Um, Tyler, talk me through that back three last night. I thought they were okay, but then they shipped three goals and they were shambles first 15 minutes. So, hard one to read, isn't it? Santi did okay, I thought. You know, like Johnny said, I think he looked all right on his, his Premier League debut. I thought he slotted in okay. Kilman was all right. Toti again a little bit nervy, wasn't he? And a, a couple of mistakes. Um, you're going to miss Dawson, aren't you? That that's a big miss, and I think we all Clearly knew it was going to be a big miss, and then it it turned out to be a big miss, didn't it? It's a calming influence. It keeps us all together. I was surprised at how erratic we were for sort of 10, 15 minutes, but then after that, really, did Fulham look like scoring? And then we've contrived to concede three goals. So you work out the maths. It's a tough one to take, isn't it? But I thought they were okay, but nobody stood out. Nobody was excellent by any stretch of the imagination. I think the person, I know we're going to talk about Aitnori Nori in a minute, but the person Aitnori Nori coming off hurt the most was probably Toti because them two have got a good relationship and had for a little while now. And I think Toti and Doherty just did not work together. And that was wow. a real struggle, that side of the pitch. Um, Johnny, um, if you could... Group up Jose Saw and the wing backs for us and give your take on those. Um, I thought Saw was uh, reasonable. Um, I'm not sure he was at fault for anything in particular. Two penalties and a, a close range finish where the, the striker had slipped his marker. Um, yeah. And then Tomato was obviously, you know, he can pick the bones out of the first goal and, and, and look at him and say he was one of those at fault the first goal I do like him on the pitch as an attacking player I think he's a gifted footballer um I know not all fans share that view in terms of what he offers but I, I like Nelson Semedo on the pitch yet yesterday wasn't one of his finest it wasn't one of his worst and then you know it's a shame to lose like Nori but I, again I, I, we touched on this earlier I didn't think Dot was bad or anything I, I thought he did a solid job on the on the side of defense that he favors least um he hasn't had a huge amount of time on the pitch um this season as a whole so yeah they were they, they were fine they were okay they were they, they, they were they, there's no one there that i would say you need, you need to be looking to pull up i thought they were all okay Noki, moving on to the center midfield who both incredibly got booked in the mission away at arsenal and i know you're a fan of the reducers so yeah your take on joe gomez and mario lamina uh, I thought they both struggled a little bit, especially in the first half. Um, 
I know they both got booked. I'm not too disappointed that they got booked because if I'm going to pick a game for them to miss, it's probably going to be Arsenal because I don't expect us to get anything there regardless. I'm not so. sure I'm going to feel like that at quarter to five in the away end, mate. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I think, you know, even with your strongest 11, you're going to struggle there because you know that they're a very good team. So I'm actually quite pleased that they get booked and that, that monkey's off the bat now. Um, Lamina gave the ball away for the penalty. Um, sloppy play by him, which isn't something that we've kind of seen from him lately. And he, he just, he didn't, they didn't have the usual spite and, and domination the way that they usually do. They usually control that, that area of the pitch and, and feeding the attacking players. So that they were both okay. Um, but as I say, Lamina at fault for the goal. And um, it just didn't have that snap and bowl that we used to. Uh, Tyler, moving on to uh, Jean-Marc Bellegarde. You sold him yet? Brilliant for the goal, but either he needs to find a way of getting into the game or we need to find a way of getting into the game. And I, I sort of tweeted at half-time, if, if we get him the ball and he starts dictating, we'll win the game. But we didn't, for one reason or another, we couldn't get him involved as much as we'd like. I mean, brilliant for the goal, absolutely brilliant. But just keep giving him the ball. And we didn't, you know, we didn't do it anywhere near enough. But I know I'm sort of thinking a few games ahead, but if you can get him and Neto in the same team and then Wang and Kuhn was options, it, it looks okay, doesn't it? But not fully sold still, because I think he, he can still, have, maybe my standards are a bit high, but I think he can impact games more than, than what he's doing. But he seems to be settling in fairly quickly. He's getting some stats now, goals, assists. So you'd think he's only going to get better, better. But brilliant for the goal. But can we find a way of getting him more involved? It was a frustration. I think we mentioned it with all the forwards that there was an ability to hurt them with our pace. And I don't think we used that enough. And particularly, he's, he, I think he got that ball in that position once in the game and it, and it got a goal from it. So um, probably not utilised enough. Johnny, moving on to uh, Wolves, one of Wolves' goal scorers, Matthias Kuna. Yeah, I thought he was. He, he wasn't. Um, it wasn't his finest day, but he was. He was. He, he was decent. He took his goal well. Uh, I know. I know that he he finds that position difficult, um, and he, he he perhaps likes to get on the ball more and, and run with the ball. And he's being asked to do things that don't come naturally to him quite a bit this season. But he's doing it really well. So I'd, I'd probably take his performance in the context of everything he's done for Wolves so far this season and I'm you know I'm, I'm happy of him I like when you're on the pitch for Wolves I think um mm -hmm. he, more of him is being asked because Wolves haven't really addressed the striker issue it was the one position that Gary O'Neill did want strengthening when he came in and didn't have long to to get everything ready but it was the one position he wanted to to strengthen he wasn't able to do that in the transfer window and he's sort of he's operating uh with Cunha and Wang a lot a lot being asked of them and he's got obviously two players he doesn't trust for different reasons um I don't think um Kalasdic is a is a player who uh offers the mobility he needs and obviously Fabio Silva's not the answer so um a lot's being asked of Cunha and I thought um he took his goal well didn't maybe influence the game as much as he would have liked to have done but um, yeah, I'm a fan of what he's been doing this season, definitely. Going forward, if Wolves sign a striker, Johnny, where do you see Cunha playing? That's a good question. I think he can. I think he has the ability to um, drop right in in, in, in a behind a two, or go out and move out wide in a three. Um, I think you can ask. I think he's flexible and he can. He likes to get on the ball. 
Um, so in a, in a more withdrawn role, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Um, I think um, a more traditional nine with with, with mobility is what O'Neill wants, and and you know there's a few he's looking at, but um, I, I think you then free Cunha up a, a bit more if he had uh, a little bit more presence alongside him and a little bit more of a distraction um, to help take players away. But at the moment, he's been asked to sort of lead the line, which is just not his natural role. Yeah, he's doing okay. I think we've said for a while, he's definitely not a nine. And he, he looks so good when he gets the ball from deep. I think his best game, I mean, at Old Trafford, he was he, he mm-hmm. was sensational. So that's I think in, in the long run, we definitely want him playing there. Noki, last but not least, um, Gwangi Chan won his penalty. I did not expect, imagine having a conversation six months ago, Wangi Chan's going to burst through, beat his man, win a penalty, and then pump it down the middle. This is not a conversation I expected to have. <laughs> no, he's turned a few people around this season, hasn't he? I mean, he won the penalty, took it, buried it. It doesn't matter how it goes, as long as he gets the net, he took a penalty. Um, I think similar to Cunha, he struggled to get in the game. Not all his own fault. Um, we gave the ball away a lot last night. The turnover of possession was, was really high and... There was a lot of long balls going forward, which isn't going to suit him. You want him playing into space, but he did okay. He took his goal well, um, and he was, you know, he was a lot of energy, a lot of lot of effort, a lot of work rate. But I don't think he was helped because the supply line's got to be there to get players like him, Bellegard, and Kudja in the game, and it just wasn't there yesterday. Um, talking about the subs, I mean, got to give Kalajic a bit of credit because he sort of he got in the way, didn't he, and it led to the build up to Wang's goal. Um, don't <laughs> Well, he, he did. He cried this, but he went. He went up in the back. Someone tweeted it. That's as my Robert Taylor looked mobile. It did make me have a oh. bit of a chuckle. But... I feel. I feel really. I, I do feel sorry for Kalajic because he was bought in under a different manager and a different style of play. And it's clear Gary O'Neill wants his team to be fast, break really quick, and go. Sasha's just not going to fit that. We don't really put crosses in the box, so it's. I, I do feel got... sorry for the guy. The only guy that was going to put the crosses in the box was the guy he replaced. And it, we've obviously given O'Neill a lot of credit for his substitutes, but that one made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to to not bring Sarabia on after the impact he had against Spurs again. For and even me, Hugo Bueno as well. So yeah, I can't I can't get made around those to be honest. So we rightly give him credit when he's due it, but I thought he got his subs very wrong. Um, yeah. That's not all of them. I'd argue were, were wrong for me, but that's just my opinion. What I would say is, though, as an average of performance as it was, if, if the officiating had gone correct, Wolves wouldn't have lost that game. They may have won that game, which is a crazy thing to say. And I know you shouldn't have to rely on the officials, but for d- despite how average that performance was, if the cor- correct decisions are made, worst case scenario, Wolves are drawing. So. It always feels a little bit worse after a loss, but I, I don't think it was a great performance. You are listening and watching episode 80 of the Wolves Report. Sky Sports, Johnny Phillips, club captain, Mark Nock, director of football, Chris Tyler, and myself, your host, Ryan Lester. Johnny isn't just a Sky Sports uh, journalist. He's also an author, and he's recently brought out the Revolution of Wolves, a Premier League trilogy. Johnny, tell us about your new book. Well, yeah, it was it was co-written with Paul Berry, who's um, a, a great writer, and he, he spent many years working at the club, so he's got a good inside track on the place as well. Um, and we sort of came to the conclusion that nothing had really been done about the modern Wolves. And when, when I say the modern Wolves, I mean in the sort of Premier League era. Now, they spent the first 10 years of the Premier League having nothing to do with it. So it really, that 
then sort of takes you back to the Millennium Stadium and and Cardiff when it was the 20th anniversary of that this year. So we sort of thought, well, the the three promotions Wolves have achieved have all come with varying degrees of success. They've all happened under different managers who play different styles and they've all happened under different owners. And the club has, admittedly, the first two were probably more of evolution than revolution. But the, the final one under Fosun and Nuno was certainly a revolution. And um, so we thought we just made it into a three-parter and we just, um, we spent two years on it. We got to everyone um, who who had a big role to play. Um, and sp- I think we, we spoke to about 40, 45, uh, maybe more footballers, uh, quite a few managers and, lo- and loads of people who worked for the club, people like Steve Morgan, Jez Moxie, Jeff Shee, um, various directors of football. Uh, just really, and they all talked really freely, uh, which, which, which is good of them, and to, just to talk us through what exactly went on at Wolves and how they got to where they did. And being Wolves, it wasn't a typical um, upward graph, uh, upward trajectory. There's all sorts that of calamity the in there. No, it's absolutely not the Wolves way. So there's plenty of calamity in the story, as well as, as success. And also a, a, maybe a sense of what might have been in various parts as well, you know, Wolves were a victim of all sorts of things, not not least the pandemic, um, which really derailed the club. Um, uh, and, and that, particularly from the fans' perspective, is a real sense of what might have been when Wolves were sort of on that incredible European journey and it looked like nothing was going to stop Nuno's team. Uh, just take us back. I mean, we talked about it off air before and it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. We talked about the playoff games with um, Alex Ray, Matt Murray at the Majewski Stadium, but... Is there a particularly part of that the story that's your favourite? Because I mean, I mean, all these guys here. That was probably our first big memory of seeing something happen at Wolves, and it was just we. Ne- it was like Anaki said before. We never thought it was going to happen, and it did. And it just yeah, it, it just gives me the willies now thinking about it. To be honest, it's just it's just going back to a nice time. Yeah, it was a great time, and that, and that team was a really interesting team because they, a lot of them didn't particularly get on well with each other, and there was quite a few dressing room bust ups and Barney's. But when they got over the the white line, as they say, um, they did all stick up for each other, and they um, and and they were a great team and and full of characters. I mean, Alex Ray and Paul Ince loathed each other before they signed for Wolves, and then from wow. the very very first day, they struck it off, and they've worked with each other ever since. You know, right up until last season. Now, I went and and spent time down at the Reading training ground with both of them for the book, and they they're thick as thieves. And there's a, there's, a, there's something that I really liked in in the book is when they were warming up in that second leg of the playoff final away at Reading, um, about 45 minutes before kickoff, this Reading fan came running down the front and was just giving ints dogs abuse. I don't know if I can swear on this, so I won't. Go for it, you can. He was effing and blinding and telling Ince what he thought of him. And Ince was sort of leading the warm-up and he got the team together and he says, if if we score, if we get through, we need to find this fucker and make sure we let him know about it. And anyway, Alex Ray, of course, comes on, scores the goal and he scores the goal right wheels off to celebrate right at the place where that fan was and picks him out in the crowd and that celebration i did not know that is all of them pointing at the fella and giving him pelters for what he was doing to him they picked him out incredibly because you think it was probably 20 odd thousand in there but they picked him out and found him and they were just going ballistic in front of him uh, and that 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 made me laugh. It was typical of the way they stuck up for each other, and the fact that twenty years on, 
But, I mean, Alex Ray said that was the highlight of the entire promotion, um, sticking one over this Reading fan. And it was quite funny that they both ended up working for Reading in uh, 20 years later. But there was, there was loads of little bits of, of things like that. There was, a, there was a fight in the Nottingham Forest game at halftime in the dressing room, which led to one Forest player not coming out for the second half because um, he got that badly turned over by... Um, by a Wolves player. So there's all sorts of stuff in those days which you just wouldn't get away with now. Tyler, you and... definitely need this on your Christmas list. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I've trusted my missus to get it, so she's probably going to get like a Villa book or a West Brom one or something. So it's all going to go wrong. But the Johnny. best thing is that 20 years later, they don't care what they, about uh, what happened. So they're, they're quite, they were quite yeah, yeah. And, and, and sort of gave away all the secrets, which is quite nice. Johnny, you said there's three parts. Uh, I want to know a bit about the second part as well, the Mick McCarthy era. Tell us uh, your favourite bit about that section. Yeah, that was um, Paul Berry did the crux of the work on that one because he he had a big in with Mick, um, Steve Morgan, and Jez Moxie, having worked with them for so many years as the as the head of media at, at Wolves, and um, and my favourite bit of that is probably getting Morgan and Moxie together um, up at um, Morgan's home in Cheshire, and we spent a lot of time with them there, and they were really good on being able to tell us about the infrastructure of the place and what they had to change off the pitch. And that was quite good. There was one bit where neither of us knew at the time where Wolves didn't own quite a bit of land around Molyneux and it they weren't going to meet um, Premier League regulations in terms of being able to provide away parking and away facilities. And they, they had to buy some deeds for certain areas. And there was all that sort of stuff going on around that no one really ever gets to hear. And there was a, the, 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 the best bit was when... Um, uh, Morgan took a few of them, including Moxie, on a, on a holiday, an end-of-season holiday, and they went canoeing and ended up it ended up with the French Fire Brigade and <laughs> Air and Rescue lifting them out of the Dordogne. They were that they were in that, and, it, and the club had to cover it up for a day or so. The club had to cover this up, and they had, they were actually on the French TV that night, being dragged out. I of think the Brian Laws was at Wolves then, but yeah, yeah right. <laughs> But no, no, nobody obviously would have recognised Morgan and Moxie uh, on French TV. But there was a moment where um, half the Wolves board ne uh, nearly uh, nearly lost their lives on the door doing. So there were little stories like that were nice. But, you know, it, certainly with Moxie, not necessarily a, a figure that um, is always fondly remembered. But he was he was really honest and he, and he, he fronted up to the fact that the double relegation really was on him and Steve Morgan and that they lost control of the club. And uh, they had, they needed Kenny Jacket to get it back again. Um, so it was good. They're great. They, you know, they, they, a lot of people were really generous with their time, and that was that was certainly the, in the second part. Um, the, the sort of the view from the boardroom was really interesting. But the one bit you mentioned there that probably isn't in the book because it's obviously it's not the Premier League. But I don't think you can get enough credit, and we wouldn't be where we are now without Kenny Jacket that season in League yeah. One. Has yeah. to be one of my enjoyable. Or what? I went down and we just embraced it. It was an we had two stinking seasons, that stinker at Brighton, and it, it was just horrendous. And you go to League One and Kenny's he had the bomb squad. And I'll be forever grateful for Kenny Jackie. I mean, if you've got back of Isako in the in, in League One, it's gonna be fun. And it was fun going to New Grounds. I think two thousand of us went to Carlisle on Bunfire night. It was it was, it was good times. Uh, Johnny, last but not least, um the, the third part of the trilogy, the Nuno era. Probably, I'm probably not alone saying this, but the greatest war years of my life, um, the promotion season, FA Cup semi-final, even though painful, European quarter-final. Um, 
thanks to Nuno, I got the, the opportunity, not through him directly, but the opportunity to commentate for BBC WM uh, at two away games in the Europa League, something I've only ever dreamed of doing. So obviously Nuno didn't put me in that position, but uh, because of what he did, it allowed me that opportunity. So magical times. Yeah, that, that was incredible. And it was really great reliving it and getting um, sort of so many of the coaching staff and players to sort of open up and why it worked as well, what was so good. I mean, we got um, Ruben Neves, Connor Cody, Diogo Jota. They all gave us quite a bit of time and, to talk, uh, and others as well, talking us through what it was that made that coaching team so successful. And then uh, Rui Silva, Rui Pedro Silva was particularly illuminating. Uh, we went out to Porto. I went out to Porto to see him um, and spent an afternoon with him. And he sort of gave the background as to how him, Nuno and uh, various other members of the coaching staff had got together and when they started really building. And they, it, it goes back years before Wolves, where, the, where that coaching team got together and, uh, and was formed. And then when they were given the opportunity through Mendes and through Fosen to then come to England for a project, how they were in incredible harmony, how they were, they were elite coaches, which they absolutely were, and then how they managed to bring all the players on board and that, and that five at the back. Ryan Bennett and Connor Cody were fantastic. I've never really f found it easy to put strategy and uh, formations down on a page and write about strategy and write about um, an analysis of a game. But Cody and Bennett really, really made it clear how that five at the back worked and how teams found it so hard to, and so difficult to break down and that they were brilliant to listen to and just, just just what worked for them and why every single game virtually without failure the opposition would have to change for them and the minute the opposition changed they were then able to pounce it was it was it was brilliant and it was like you said right I mean we're probably all not dissimilar age wise and and, and certainly I'm well, I don't remember 1980 in the, the League Cup then um so it, it was out without doubt the, the best of times and it you know facilitated by Fosen and, and and George Mendes as well and it was just you know it's a different world from that 2003 promotion you absolute different world but just great great days yeah incredible I mean hopefully we're at the start of a journey again obviously it's a little bit different now the I think we've got different restrictions but hopefully Gary can uh, give us a bit of stability I'm not sure we can ever aim for those Nuno days again but um, you've got a dream, haven't you? So, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Johnny, thank you for doing that. I've got to be honest, I want to download it now and read it. And, <laughs> it, it, and if you could read it to me, that, that'd, be really, that'd be really nice. Uh, you, you are listening and watching episode 80 of the Wolves Report with Sky Sports and author Johnny Phillips, club captain Mark Nock and director of football Chris Tyler. Just before we move on, Johnny, to some questions, um, best way to purchase your book before Christmas? Amazon's probably the most straightforward way of going about it. Um, if you if you if you're based in Wolverhampton, it's um, there's quite a bit of signed copies available at Waterstones in Wolverhampton. But um, if you're further afield, then Amazon or you can order it uh, online at Waterstones. Um, yeah, I definitely I definitely head there first. Tyler, let's get that stock in full. Uh, moving on to some questions, 15 minutes into episode 80. You two have had a little break now. Let's get Johnny have a glass of water. Um, Tyler, this one's for you. Uh, remove travel, company and beers. When was the last time you enjoyed 90 minutes of football? Since the rules changes, officiating and VR, it has become difficult. Great question, Johnty. 
Oh, it's about to the highest, isn't it? I think it was probably when I was at a non-league game, to be honest. You can stand around the side of the pitch, drink beer, and you don't get VAR, so probably that. But it's not all been bad, has it? You know, I mean, even this season, there's been some real highlights. But I was listening to Talk Sport earlier and keeping on social media, and it, it now does seem that more and more people are, you know, throwing the towel in, basically. They've had enough. You know, you're spending a lot of money, a lot of time and effort. I had a guy, um, you know, send me messages today. Got I saw on Twitter, I saw your exchange, yeah. Yeah, get back early. And you're just like, they're the people that's impacting as much as anybody. Um, to answer the question, you know, yeah, we've still had some good, you know, good days, haven't we? City and Spurs were, were brilliant at the end. But it certainly does change the way you watch football, especially when you're in the stadium. And it certainly has, for me, had a had a negative impact. There's not been one positive for me. And, that's that's a shame. Great question, John T. Um, yeah, it's tough. Uh, let's move on to uh, Nokia. Let's give you some VAR. Let's fire you up again. Paul Nichols, talking point. VAR aside, we need to address not turning up against the sides below us. Great point. Thank you for being part of the show, Paul Nichols. Yeah, he's right. I mean, it's, we, we don't perform against the smaller teams. These are the, the teams that... I say smaller, the teams that struggle in the division. Um, I think there's a little bit of the way City and Spurs and teams like that will play. Man United, they'll come at you, so you'll have opportunities to break. But we do find it difficult when we may be going to games as favourites. We do struggle to break teams down. And it's something we need to address. But if he's beating City and Spurs on a regular basis, it's it's not really going to matter. But I think it'll. it's still not his team yet, is it? He's still finding systems at work he's still finding players who fit what he wants to do and I think there'll be changes in January as well so I think what he's achieved so far with with what he's had to work with and the issues that we've had and the fact that we're scoring more goals now um you know I think you've got to give him credit as opposed to to picking out what maybe isn't going quite so well yeah we've known number nine either and as 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 Johnny said I think at the start at the end of the window the one thing he wanted was he nine he didn't get it so hopefully that'll change in January. Uh, this one uh, you can have Johnny. Steve S asks, what do you think the club's reasoning is behind the decision to side with the likes of Newcastle on the recent cross-ownership loan vote? Great question, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, once that vote was put to the clubs, I think Wolves would probably be the first one to, to straight away um, vote the way they did. And again, this is covered on in the book quite a bit as well. And it, it, it's, it's all Mendes related. Um, and, and just if you, Mendes um, bought the, uh, bought a, a big stake in Diogo Jota when he was um, a teenager at Passos de Ferreira in Portugal. And I think he bought 40% stake in the player for about 30,000, 35,000 euros. And with the idea that he would then be able to trade uh, him amongst several clubs and, this was something that Fosun picked up on, and it's it. Uh, the yeah, initial contact was probably that same year, I think 2014, when they approached um, Mendes. And what they really, really liked um, was that there was he had a closed loop essentially on a player, and could then um, be at the centre of a, a player's career without being having to rely on clubs, um, a certain clubs to, to to sort of trade him, and. Fosen always wanted a trading vehicle for footballers. And uh, I think it was, was it the German paper, The Spiegel, that um, revealed a load of uh, emails and um, football uh, data called Football Leaks. It is. It's all, it's all out there. You can, you can get hold of it. Where they did get a lot of emails from, 
from Jesterfeuds and, and others sources. And, and this was something Fosen emails are out there where they had really, really admired this this, this trading vehicle that, that, that Mendez was trying to set up and how you can sort of use this as a, a get a global platform for then buying and selling players. Now, I'm, I'm not sure that they still treat um, the relationship with Jesterfeuds as the same, but they do have a 15% stake in the company. And, you know, they own Wolves now. And Wolves has been used as a vehicle for moving players around. But not just that. Take Wolves out of the equation completely and say you have a player whose agent is um, Mendes and he plays for a Saudi Arabian club, for argument's sake, and is sold to Saudi Arabia and then is loaned with a loan fee to a club like Newcastle, for argument's sake, or any other club and that loan fee is taken, then more and more money is is, is is in the system in Mendez's pocket, and more and more money, therefore, is is uh, in the stake that Fosen have in Jesterfeuds. So I think it was always going to be um, something that Wolves would want to keep open, not just for any feeder club relationships they have, but just for the relationships that they've got with Mendez. And, you know, Nothing, and I'm not suggesting for a minute here, anything is not above board. Everything is being done within the regulations that currently exist. But that open-ended nature of, of being able to move players around uh, in the system is, is something which initially attracted Fosun to football, you know, almost 10 years ago. And I think where it may have been diluted and Fosun are looking at things like the brand with Wolves and other things, I think that... That fundamental issue is something that's still there in principle. Steve S, I think you got your money's worth value on that answer. It's a great question and an even better answer, Johnny. Fantastic. Um, this is the last good, one. It's a good job you didn't give that one to me or knock us. Uh, I know, yeah. We'll <laughs> still be on 43 minutes. <laughs> um, last but not least, with the questions, Dave asks, and this is for everybody really to chip in, and it is a bit of a concern. What is the latest with the redevelopment of Molyneux? It's been a while since the plans were shared, but it's gone very quiet and it's a concern as Molyneux is starting to look tired. <sighs> it is looking tired. I mean, the new the newest stand behind the goal is okay. Um, safe bank, not so bad, but the Steve Ball, it looks like it's struggling a bit. I mean, it's not even like it looks like it's had a lick of paint. Johnny, any, <laughs> any, 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 any thoughts on that? And I know Fosun would probably say they're, they're focusing their finances on the team to secure and make the team better. But at some stage, something's got to happen with the stadium. Yeah, I think I, I agree. Something has to happen with the stadium. There have the, the, been various uh, sort of uh, proposals and plans put to the table, but they haven't really got past that stage um, other than sort of making the right noises. I think it would require uh, a significant investment from Fosun to, to do that. And I'm not sure that's going to be forthcoming at the moment. It might be further down the, low, the line. I know, you know, Fosun had an upturn in, in fortunes in the, in, the, in the summer with their credit rating globally. But I think that sort of invest, the investment needed in Molyneux is probably uh, up there with the investment that was needed in the team initially when Fosun put all that money in. And I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not really sure where that money is going to come from now with this sort of more circumspect period of ownership. So, yeah, we'd all love something to happen with the Steve Ball stand in particular, but I, I think it's probably gone quiet for a reason. So, no, I, I can't, I can't offer any, um, any, any, any light on that really. Yeah, it's 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 something 
even I know you were laughing then, Tyler, but even a lick of paint across the roof to just to paint those beams and the even the, 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 the railings around the stadium, it just needs a little tidy up. I mean, it was on Twitter, wasn't it? A few was it pre season when there's a bit of banter flying around about obviously like the pillars being rusty and people getting hammered, but it's a fair observation. Yeah. Well, the new looks knackered, it looks like Nocky does in about 11 o'clock every night. It's <laughs> <just fine. laughs> not wrong, and, you know, this is this is like what was a European challenging Premier League team. I, I, I think we expect a little bit more, jokes aside. You'd want every stand, like the plans were drawn out, to be like the new North Bank. And I'd argue the steeple's barely fit for purpose, borderline unsafe at times when it's, you know... What is he now? 40 years old, 41, 42 years old, I think built in around 80 years exactly. So, yeah, he's, it's a pretty old stand. Has to, um, has to be addressed and... I don't see it being imminent, like Johnny said, but it's got to be on the radar. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand it. I'm, I'm not expecting building plans down and it's starting next season, but just a lick of paint and a tidy up, a little bit more presentation because the fans in the team have got a relationship again and Model News found its voice. So mm -hmm. maybe take a little bit of pride, spend a little bit of money on the air, just a tidy up. We're not expecting new stuff there, but just to give it a bit of a polish and a shine again. Um, on Saturday... Is that knock his head or is that, is that Model News? <laughs> Both on, on Saturday afternoon, Wolves head to London where they face Arsenal in a three o'clock kickoff. It's going to be a tough game. It was hard before uh, when Wolves had Lamina and Gomez. It's now even harder. Lucky, how are Wolves going to set up for this game? I don't think he'll do a lot different. Obviously, he's got to change the midfield, so you'd suspect Doyle will come in. Um, and probably Bubakar comes in as well. I mean, if it was me, I'd, I know it's be unpopular. I'd rest as many as I possibly could. I'd take everybody oh, out. I'm I'm like, oh, I'm Mick McCarthy. I'll, 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 I'll play Bentley in goal. I'll play Kalajic and Silver up front. I'd play uh, anyone else we've got left. You absolutely no Johnny. care for my day in London on Saturday. I just think, you know, we've got a lot of games coming up, a lot of really big games, and games that on paper are, are winnable. I just don't think... Our strongest eleven is going to really struggle to lay a glove on Arsenal, and that's no disrespect to the to Wolves or or Gary O'Neill, but there's a reason they're where they are and we're where we are. You know, they're they're a better team than we are. They've got danger all over the pitch, and best will in the world. I, I think it's a massive ask for Wolves to go there and get anything other than a, a bit of a bit of a doing. So, I, I, if it was me, I'd rest as many as I can. I know he's not going to do that, and I know he'll make a, a couple of changes that he's got to make, and he'll probably keep it relatively similar up front, but. I certainly wouldn't have Neto anywhere near it, even if he's deemed fully fit. He stays well away from it. And I'd, I'd take it for what it is, really. I think it's a game that we're going to struggle to get anything out of, and especially now that we've lost our two first-choice midfielders as well. Tyler, we saw on uh, the weekend, Brentford run Arsenal really close. They tucked in, they frustrated, they were aggressive. Is that something you're expecting from Wolves on Saturday? Um, is that our only real opportunity on that game? Five at the back and two at front tucking in? I think it's a different ball game when you go to their place. On the flip side, Fulham went there, I think got a draw earlier in the season and, and teams have caused them problems. Um, I'm a little bit with Knocker, really. I, I don't see how we get much. And then you've got Burnley and Forest in the space of a week, haven't you? And surely they're the games you target the points from. Eight Nori probably won't be available, I'd have thought. So you're missing three key players minimum, aren't you? So Dawson will come back and bring a bit of stability you'd like to think but I'd like to think we can go there and have a go but on with Knocker on this one I just don't see it and 
is it a time to give players minutes? Maybe the only thing on Neto, you could if he's his back, you could maybe give him a bit of time to blow the cobwebs off. Maybe, but I think Burnley and Forest for me are, are the two big ones coming up. Fair, Johnny. This looks a really hard game. Um, Arsenal probably definitely haven't hit top gear yet, but they're finding a way. They're grinding away through teams. I think they beat Man City. Um, they grinded away a win out against Brentford. So. They're up there, they're challenging, but they're probably not nowhere near where the best, but still, it's a massive task for Wolves. Yeah, it's hard to see. I, I agree I agree with the others that it, it's hard to see Wolves getting anything from this. And it, may, it might be a time when sort of the, the transfer window Wolves had last summer is being shown up for what it is, really. And that you look around and all, of all the players that came in, there's no one that you look at and think, oh, Gary O'Neill hangs his hat on him. He can always trust him, full yeah. game, whatever. He's not, none of the players left who you could say that about but no no one no one came in and as a result yeah. Wolves have looked really really thin on the ground at times and you know they, they've done really well given given what the squad is um at times this season and putting some unbelievable performances but I'm not I'm, I'm not sure Arsenal away on Saturday is one where where that's going to happen again I think um maybe damage limitation and move on to the next but you know they they, they have they have surprised against against the better opposition so I'm not ruling anything out but I certainly wouldn't want Neto involved I don't think um, I think he needs a bit more time yeah the, the hardest there's, there was always a chance and when you've got Lamina and Gomez in there doing what they do well bullying and then sort of earning the right to play in there as they did against Man City's managing the spaces there and just when you lose those two warriors in there that do that job so well and that's not disrespectful to Doyle or Bubakar they're totally different footballers Doyle's probably the nicest footballer of them all Bubakar's a bit of both where he can get get up and down and play a little bit of football but to lose your two warriors ahead of that game is, is a big loss um I do feel like it'll be damage limitation but manage manage the game in 10 minute slots let's keep and try and break with a bit of pace break with Wang's pace I think every team in the Premier League now at some stage in the game will give you an opportunity um, yeah. especially with the way they play. So will Wolves get lots of chances? No. Will they get a few chances? I'm pretty sure that they will. So it's a it's a big ask. So um, almost impossible to tell the team, but I think it'll be Doyle and Bubakar coming in. Doherty, if Bueno's not, not fully right, and then Dawson comes back in. Otherwise, probably, probably the same, really. Um, once that time of the show, Johnny, where we do our predictions for the weekend, it's a stinker of a show to come on to do your predictions when we've got Arsenal away, so we'll save you till last. Noki, um, your prediction for Arsenal v the mighty Wolverhampton Wanderers? 3-1 uh, Arsenal. Um, Martinelli with the opener. The joy of the predictions. <sighs> Tyler? 3-0, mm, I think, probably. I don't think we'll score three, mate. Uh, and, and Saka, I suppose. Johnny, can you shed any hope on the show, <laughs> the end of the show at all? No, I'm with Tyler. 3-0 sounds about right, if I had to put, put money anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I was there the last game of the season, and it was 5-0, and it probably could have been 7-8, 9-0. They absolutely pumped Wolves. I'm not sure the manager was interested then. I think the players knew they were safe. I'm hoping it's not like that, and I'm hoping it's it's not an absolute demolition job. So it's my show. So I'm going to go nil-nil um, from the most <laughs> incredible Jose Sar performance I've ever seen in my life. So Arsenal nil. <laughs> <Wolverhampton. laughs> yeah, good <laughs> luck with that one. This has been episode 80 
of the Wolves Report. Thank you so much to Sky Sports and author Johnny Phillips. Thank you to club captain Mark Knott and thank you to Chris Tyler, our director of football. See you next Wednesday evening where Paul Berry, the other half of the Johnny and Paul duo will join us to analyse the Arsenal and Burnley games. Catch you next week. Up Wolves. We'll